Welcome to Kingwood Bible Church. My name is Steve Jones. I am not the pastor. I'm not ordained. Uh, I have God in my heart. Uh, I've been asked to share this Sunday morning, and it's an honor. It's a big, it's an awesome responsibility. And uh, I'm amongst good company. Because I think Peter's the only active pastor in here. If you are a pastor active, you probably should be at your other church. But... <laughs> So, uh, my message on this Easter morning uh, about Easter. I was watching uh, um, Steve's, R, R, what does it call it, R, R, B, R, G, Steve's or something like that, the, on TV last public, public broadcast, and he was doing the Easter message and visiting the churches in uh, Europe, Italy, uh, well, I can't name all the countries, but he went to several countries and he compiled this visit. And I watched the different ceremonies there and uh, to see, uh, I was watching with him, and he was there to also build his faith. He's a man of faith himself. And, uh, but he went to, to visit the different uh, churches from Orthodox Greek to to the conservative, to the Protestant belief, to I mean Catholicism, I mean, and uh, he went to all the different ones, and they all basically had the same thing with a few extra side things. And one of the things that ended at every most of the service, or all of them actually, was the day of Sunday where families get together and they enjoy each other's time together over food, celebrating the resurrection and the new life in God. And uh, that's so cool, because we do that here. And they actually hunt Easter eggs over there, too. Uh, Easter eggs are a side thing. Uh, They represent something in the beginning. I didn't do a study on that. But we're not talking about Easter eggs. We're talking about this Sunday here, about the resurrection of our Lord. If I was to have a title for my message that God has been laying on my heart, for the last month and a half when I was asked to do this, uh, it would be believe. Believe. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 11 said, you know, it's impossible without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please, to please God. For you, for you must believe he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And when I finish this message, it's my hope and God's hope that you will believe. Believe what happened over 2,000 years ago. Believe that it was for you. Not just for you, but for every human being that lived from the beginning of time to the end of time in the future. It's the, that's how efficient the sacrifice that Jesus did for us, you and me and all of mankind. That's how efficient it is. And you have to believe it, though. You have to buy into it. The scripture, you have to buy into what it says in here. If you don't, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to be saved. You have to believe. It's as simple as that. 
Peter said, Second Peter said in the first chapter, 20, verse 20 and 21, Above all things you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecies never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through though human, spoke from God as though as they were carrying along as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was nothing that came out of their own mind or their own heart, but as God shared with them, revealed his truth to them, then they spoke. And that's the scriptures. And that's what the book, the Bible is. And this is what I believe. I believe this. I never used to believe that. I used to be an atheist. I did not believe in God. But God revealed himself to me in July 11th, 1978. And from that point on, I believed. And at that point, God saved me. Friday was here. A couple days ago. And we had a little uh, Friday service. And it was in... Good Friday is what they call it. And it was in recognition or acknowledging the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And we read the scripture and it described the suffering that Christ went through. And and all. And then at the end, after the suffering on the cross, and the reason the purpose of the suffering on the cross, after it was we read through that, he was buried. And then today, Sunday, he rose again. And I didn't say it Friday, but after the service, you know, we were, uh, and even uh, Rick Steves, that's who it was, Rick Steves, (laughs) Rick Steves said that uh, all through the world on Friday, people were celebrating, or not celebrating, they were mourning the the crucifixion of of Jesus. They were carrying this heaviness about them that... uh, in remembrance of what he did. But my thinking is, it's also a time of rejoicing because of what he went through and why he went through it was because of the will of the Father, his Father. It was the Father's will that Jesus take the spear and shove it into his, uh, receive the spear through his side and up into his heart and into his lungs. And to die. It was his father's will to do that. God. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, believes in him, will never perish, but have everlasting life. That's a good day, Friday. Good Friday. On the cross, Jesus suffered. Now we have a beautiful cross here. There's no body up here dying, but Jesus is off the cross this Sunday, and now we remember the cross as a beautiful place where our sins were placed, and God was able to forgive us, and God's wrath and anger was appeased. He's no longer angry because of what Jesus did. He took his anger out on his own son. It pleased the son to bruise, pleased the father to bruise the son. Why? Because of you. 
because of me. So the story on Friday, through Saturday, a day where Jesus went down into the grave, down into hell, as the scriptures point out, took the keys of death from the enemy below and set the prisoners free. Because there, he destroyed death by dying for us. He went down there, a holy man, God, bearing the sins of us, dying for us, went down below and took the keys of death from the enemy of our soul, the devil. Thus, hanging on to it, and then God raised him from the dead on Sunday. Death no longer has its grip on us. We no longer have to fear death if we believe in the Son, the one and only Son, because he bore the sins of the world upon his own body. The crucifixion. Let's talk about it. So I did a little study. I've had some training in, I've graduated from Chemeketa Community College and paramedic training. So I've had some uh, training and studies in human anatomy, physiology, worked alongside as a, in the internship, never been a paramedic, but worked and saw life and death and saw symptoms and things that happened out in the field. And so I have a, a basic understanding of what goes on when a person dies in particular ways. In particular, what we're talking about, how Jesus, what Jesus went through. Now, we have a paramedic here amongst us, and I'll have him do this or, okay, do this or whatever to me uh, to, if I'm off. But uh, clinical death, this is as it is today, is defined today. Clinical death is the medical term for the cessation of blood circulation and breathing, the two necessary criteria to sustain human and many other organisms' lives. Occurs when the heart stops beating with regular rhythm, a condition called cardiac arrest. Legal death, that was clinical death, Legal death, the legal death is the government's official recognition that a person has died. Normally it's done by issuing a death certificate. In most cases, such certificates is only issued either by a doctor's declaration of death or upon identify, identification of a corpse. These are, I got these out of the Wikipedia definitions. Point being that there's a, when the heart stops beating, and starts producing, uh, sending blood up to the brain, sending fresh blood with oxygen back to itself. And the person, uh, the brain actually, uh, when it'll, it'll die after a while, and then the organs eventually start dying because of their lack of oxygen, because of the lack of nutrients, and eventually death occurs. There's a period of time where a person can be resuscitated, and uh, the, high, the percentages of that happening, if they go into cardiac arrest, are low. But there's a window of time that you have, and that's, thus we have CPR. 
So if you see someone going down, you have CPR, so you're trying to re- keep that blood pumping, keeping the oxygen flowing through the system, keeping the organs alive until help comes and they could administer maybe a shock to them, give them some drugs or whatever to revive the heart, and hopefully it gets going again. Because if the heart stops, you die. You ha- it ends. At the crucifixion, during that time prior to the crucifixion, Jesus experienced some things. He experienced rejection, verbal abuse. These are emotional things. People mocking him, making fun of him. How many of you here have felt the rejection at times? Or maybe somebody making fun of you, remembering back in a time then when you were a kid and you felt like, Nobody liked you or whatever. You felt this rejection and you felt sad. You felt empty and you're, you're just carrying all this burden upon you. And it actually puts a strain on, your, on your, uh, your body, your mind, and everything else, causing stress and pressures. These are all things that affect the individual in the body, not causing death, but it puts pressure and affects you greatly physiologically as well as mentally and spiritually. Jesus experienced that. Physically, Jesus experienced a flogging. The first verse in in John 20 says that he went out and was uh, flogged. No details. History shows that the Romans used a, uh, a whip that had different strands on it, and on the end of the, the strands were woven in these metal balls, these iron balls, and woven into the, the strands themselves were broken shards of bone and different uh, pieces of sharp objects and whatnot. And so when you swung the whip, the whip would go around and the balls would swing around and slam against his body, causing contusions and bruisings and everything else. And then as they pulled the whip out, it tore his skin, it tore his muscles, it tore his veins, it opened him up. And they would, uh, the Roman custom was to strike a person when they were scourged 39 times minimum. 39 times. So Jesus received a flogging that opened up his body full of wounds. Uh, he was literally beaten by the balls on the end of this whip. So he was open, he was bleeding out. Another thing that he went through, they were hitting him, they were slapping him in the face. They also were, they carried the cross. It is said that the, some, there's different views on this. Some say that he carried the whole cross. Others say that he just carried the uh, horizontal piece. The two pieces of the cross, the vertical piece of the cross, was said to have weighed 300 pounds. Big enough, the, the traditional cross that the Romans used to hang prisoners or, the, or people who were being punished at the time. 300 pounds just for the vertical piece. The, the horizontal piece was... 100 pounds, roughly. So either way, if he was carrying 100 pounds on his shoulder, let's say it was just the vertical piece, he's carrying this cross through 
a crowd of mocking people, a hundred pounds on his shoulders, after he was beaten with a whip, opened up, kicked, spit on, slapped, It's a heavy thing. Then, once he got there, they nailed him to the cross. They drove nails into his wrists, I believe. Some say the palm of the hand. Some say the wrist. I'm not sure. doesn't say in the scriptures, but he was nailed to the cross in hands and in both feet. So there's another opening for blood to flow out of. Then, once he's hanging on the cross, he's having to hold himself up because he's holding his arms are up like this, and the weight of his body is weighing him down, and his clothes is putting pressure on his chest cavity. He's unable to breathe. In order to breathe, he has to lift himself up with his nails in his feet. So the, he's virtually suffocating a slow death, carrying this his own weight on the cross. Now, mind you, he was just whipped. He just carried a 100-pound cross minimum. He's been slapped, mocked. All this is, he has gone through. And remember, who's pleased that he bruised the son? The father. The father sent his son to do receive this and it pleased the father not because the father was some sick father but because the father loved you and loved me the punishment for our sin our iniquity was laid upon him he bore the cross for us the things that he experienced was for us so what happens when all this happens to him I'm I'm bringing this to a point the point is death I'm proving to you that Jesus really did die. It wasn't, he didn't fall asleep, he didn't go in some deep meditation to, you know, and all of a sudden, no one's looking, wake up. He literally died. After losing blood initially just from the whipping and all the blood that's gone, what happens is the blood empties out of the body, and your body is a container. The blood vessels contain the blood. And it's, uh, there's a volume of blood in there. And there's a thing called when, when the loss of blood, when the blood is removed from the body in excess, it's called hypovolemic. The person becomes hypovolemic. That means low volume in this case, of blood. He's lost a lot of blood. And what happens, hypovolemic shock occurs. Hypovolemic shock, when that occurs, that means the blood is gone. So the body, the brain up here thinks, i got to protect my body. i got to protect it. So it'll begin shutting down the kidneys because it doesn't want you to lose any more water. So it will shut the kidneys down so that the water will retain and protect the vital organs, the, everything else. It, it's, it's fighting to keep this person alive. The body is made that way. Also, what will happen is the heart is encased in what they call a sac. 
a pericardal a sac, sac is what it is. And, when, and on the outside in the membrane of this sac is a fine, thin layer of fluids inside that sac. So it kind of encases the heart. During hypovolemic shock and through trauma, through anything that happens physically to the body, especially if you get hit in the chest or you're losing body, what happens is fluids start to build up from the inflammation around the heart in this sac. And then the sac becomes filled with liquids. And then as the sac gets filled with liquids, it compresses against the heart and does what they call a cardiac tamponade. Is that good how to pronounce it? And what that does, that means cardiac tamponade means to stop or to resist, come against tamponade, to hold back, basically. And so the pressure is so big on the heart with all this fluid in there, caused from the hypovolemic shock, caused from the beating that he received, just the beating that he received. You add all the other stuff, and what happens is then the heart gets compressed, and eventually it can't work, it can't move, and it stops pumping blood. Blood doesn't get to the brain. It also, this occurs around the lungs. There's a sac around that as well. It puts pressure on the lungs. You can't, you can't breathe as well. The brain shuts down, sends messages to everything else to shut down. The heart stops, go into cardiac arrest, you die. If you so important for a medic to get somebody who's bleeding out to get fluids into him and keep the heart going. So important. That's what happened to Jesus. Then the scriptures talk about uh, there was two thieves on both sides, and the and the, the scripture was talking about how the Pharisees wanted the Jesus and the thieves and anyone else around the country who were hanging on the cross at the time, and there was a lot, to be taken down because the Sabbath was the next day. And they didn't want them hanging around, especially the Lord and the, the, the criminals on his side. So they asked them to break their legs and then so that they would die quicker. So the, uh, the Roman soldiers went up with an iron rod, and that's what they had, made out of iron, and they broke the legs of the thieves so that they couldn't hold themselves up, and it caused them to suffocate and die quicker. That way they can get them down off the cross and get them out of there. And so they went to Jesus, and they, saw, they went up to him, and they saw that he was already dead. He had already said, Father, I commend my spirit into you. And he, gave, he died, and he, gave, uh, he, he was dead. And they recognized that and said he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs, fulfilling the scriptures and the prophecies that not a bone was broken. And then, but they wanted to verify it. So they took the spear. They wanted to verify his death took the spear, shoved it into his side, right into here, through the heart, and into the lungs. And what came out, does the scripture say? What came out? Blood and water came out. 
he had pericardial effusion, effusion, build up a water around his heart, so when they punctured it, water flew out. Blood came out, what was left. Thus fulfilling the scriptures, they pierced his side. Proving that he's dead. And I don't know about you, but if a rod went through my heart, just that alone, that would stop the heart. Death will occur. So are we all in agreement that Christ died on the cross? Was he dead? According to the scriptures, according to the record written in here, it shows that these events did happen. Putting aside the spiritual thing and the ramifications of it all, did he die on the cross? History says he did. This book says he did. He was dead. So that makes Sunday morning even a greater miracle in our minds. I, I've seen in my short time doing my internship as a paramedic, people dying or died, and they're dead. You, there's nothing you can do. Your hands are tied. I couldn't, I couldn't wish it out that they were alive. You know, they're dead. So in my mind... When you see someone who has died and passed on, you cannot bring them back to life. There's no way. They're gone. They've been declared dead. And that's what happened to Jesus. But the scriptures say differently. John 20. I'm going to read starting from the first verse. And I will read through, and I'll hit some high spots in the scriptures for time's sake. Early on the first day of the week, it was still dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. What stone? After he died, they took him down, and they put him in a tomb that was near the place of crucifixion. It was a brand new tomb. They laid him in the tomb. They wrapped him up and cloth, and there he was. He was dead. The traditional uh, burial had taken place. So Mary Magdalene, while it was still early in the morning, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, and one of the, the, the one Jesus loves and said... They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where he, they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. It is believed that the other disciple was John, the guy that's writing this. He outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. He bent over, and he looked in, and the strips of linen were lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around his head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. 
we saw and believed. They still didn't understand from the scriptures, though, that Jesus had to raise from the dead. It wasn't clicking. They weren't saying, oh, good, he raised from the dead. But they believed the women who said that he wasn't there anymore. The tomb was open. And they saw that he was gone. But they still didn't believe or didn't get it that he had risen from the dead. And Jesus had been teaching them all along through his life amongst them, the last three and a half years when he was with the disciples, that he would eventually have to die and rise again. But they had forgot that, forgotten that. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him, thinking he was dead. I mean, what she saw is impossible for him to survive that. She knew he was dead. He was buried in here. So she's, all she's thinking is somebody moved him. Jesus said to her, Mary, that's all he said, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he, that he had said these things to her. The message of faith, or the message of the gospel, or the, excuse me, the message of Easter requires that we believe God if we want to be saved. Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For as with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You have to believe this story. You have to believe what God has done and put your trust that God was right, that God, what God did was for me and for you and for the rest of the world. We have to. Otherwise, we don't believe, and it's, it doesn't work. God can't save us because that's, that's his plan. His plan was not to punish us, but to punish his son but not to leave his son in the grave, but to raise him up. 
And for whoever so will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You have to believe that. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is rich over all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hebrews 11, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. That takes faith to believe that. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. And how can I get this faith? How can I get this faith that I'm supposed to have in order to be saved? How am I, you know, to believe that? I can't, right now my mind is, he died. How in the heck can he raise up? It's impossible. It takes faith in what God says. Romans 10 again, 14, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to call on him if you don't believe in him? How are, or, and how shall we believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I'm not a preacher, but you're hearing the word of God. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of good news, of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed, excuse me, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do I get this faith that saves me? By hearing the word of God. All creation actually shouts out that God is alive. You look at it. All creation, everything around you screams that there's a creator. So beautiful out there. Look at each other. So complex, wonderfully made. Everyone in this room is wonderfully made. I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done. You're precious in God's sight. We reacquire faith and belief in God by God revealing himself to us. Peter's an example. When Jesus came into the region, this is Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? He's talking to the 12. 
And I'm talking, and he's talking to you right now. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. The Father is going to reveal, if your eyes and ears are open, if your ears are open and you're hearing what God is saying, God will reveal to you his Son. Then you'll say, I believe. Um, you've, some of you heard my story, July 11th, 1978, driving my pickup while stoned. God revealed himself to me. My, an atheist, totally in denial that there was a God. God, over a period of time, up to that moment, had been revealing himself to me through billboards and through Billy Graham on TV, who I hated to watch, and through people telling me about Jesus, and I didn't want to hear it. And then as I'm driving along, I got this backslidden Catholic sitting next to me, and both of us are smoking a joint. And we're just, you know, talking about this and that, and he's worried about me because I don't even believe in God. And as we're talking, I go, so? And then we're talking a little bit more, and he's starting to preach at me and tell me about the end times and tell me, you know, trying to, you know, I said, well, if you're so, why don't you become religious? I, I told him, if you want to do this stuff. And as the conversation went on, and every time I mentioned the name Jesus, a peace came over my heart. God was revealing himself to me. My eyes were blind to the truth. I refused to believe. I wanted to live in my life on my own. But I had lost everything. I had nothing left. And God began to reveal that to me. And so he did. And I was feeling this peace in me, and I turned to Rod, and I go, Hey, Rod, don't you feel this peace every time you say the name Jesus? You know, mind you, I had been smoking a joint, and I'd been, you know, kind of a little, a little high, and some, someone might write that off a little bit as being, uh, well, you're just a little high. And maybe he did. I don't know. But I knew in my heart that I was feeling this peace, and I said to myself, I want this. And immediately God sent the Holy Spirit and gave, caused me, as you know, in John 3, about being born again. He had put the Holy Spirit into me, and I was alive. I, could, I was straight, just like that. And the Olympic Mountains were in my view, and they lit up. And I knew what eternity was. I knew what sin was. I finally saw it. I got it. It was revealed in my heart that God is alive. He's real. I didn't know anything about what happened on the cross. I'd heard that Jesus died on the cross, but it's a poor him. But now God revealed himself to me. Psalm 98, 2. The Lord has made his salvation, name known his salvation. His righteousness he revealed in the sight of nations. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
The arm of the Lord, Isaiah 51, goes on. This is hundreds of years before the crucifixion and describes the crucifixion to a T, what was going to happen 400 years in the future. And it happened. Who has believed that report? And now it's happened. And some believed, as God is trying to reveal the whole world, to the whole world who he is. And now... Up to this date, 2017, on this Easter morning, God is still at work trying to reveal himself to you, the arm of the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty five. At the time, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Babies. Young kids who are just open, their eyes are open, they just want to believe mommy and daddy. They believe everything they say. Then we get old and we start doubting and wondering if things are true or not. Wondering if life is even worth living. But babes, they listen. They want to know more. So, make yourself a babe right now. Put aside all the stuff, the doubts and the fears, and believe. Because God will reveal himself to you. Open your heart to him and listen to what he's saying here on this Easter morning. Romans 1.17 says, Actually, Matthew eleven twenty seven says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one whom the Son will reveal him. Nobody knows the Father except the Son reveals him to you. Nobody knows the Son except the Father reveals the Son to him. You cannot know God until he reveals it to you. But you have to have an open heart and, and accept it by faith. For it is impossible to please God. You have to believe that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. In closing, do you believe? Peter addresses the, the crowd in Acts, Acts 2. I'm starting at verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Fellow Christians believe in this church, listen carefully to what I say. This is God speaking through Peter. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, what had just happened was that the Holy Spirit came down upon people all at once, and there's evidence that people's lives were changed. People were talking in different languages. There was all kinds of stuff going on, and people acting kind of crazy, all excited. And he's saying here, don't be surprised at what's happened. These people aren't drunk. This isn't some big party. It's, it's only 9 in the morning. Well, some, some people might partake at 9 in the morning, but he's saying here that 
It's only nine in the morning, so no. This was spoken to by the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel foretold what was happening at Peter's time right then. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on servants, my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming and great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Kingwood, listen to this. Visitors, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and, and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, Easter day, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, King David said this about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. This is a prophetic word, what was going to happen to the Lord. You have made known to me the paths of life. You have filled me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, fellow Kingwood people, fellow visitors, I tell you the truth confidently that the patriarch David is dead. And was buried, and his tomb is here this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned to the realm of the death, dead, the grave, or dead. Nor did his body see decay. Jesus' body did not see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Peter saw it. Peter visited with him. Peter almost touched his side and when he came in and saw him afterwards. I think Thomas touched his side because Thomas doubted. Exalted to the right hand of God, he was... He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all of us. For David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord, Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel and Kingwood and everyone in this room be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to others, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For you will receive the, whole, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise that is with you, is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 78, he called me. He poured out his spirit upon me, and I was born again. This very moment, if you believe this report, this message from the Lord, that God punished his own son, and he took his own, our sins, the sins of all the world on himself, and God smote the son. God struck the son, and his wrath was appeased. He no longer has to judge us. He won't. He doesn't want to. So now, whoever calls on this son, who not only received our sin and was punished for our sin and died for our sins, but he rose again, as Peter testifies, as the scriptures teach, which I believe, we too can be saved. In your heart right now, call on him. Easter is a day of resurrection Sunday. You can be resurrected from your old life, from your emptiness, from struggling, and and from all the fears that are going around in this world today, right now. Your personal struggles, the struggles of our nation, the struggles of the world, all weigh heavy on us. Well, they weighed heavy on him. Because he bore all that guilt and the sin on himself. And God took care of it. The punishment for that sin. Because God is holy. He's pure. He's, he can't live with that. But God so loved us that he wants us back. He wants us. So come to him. Open your hearts where you stand, where you're at right now. And just ask him in. That's all it takes. You know, I was driving down the road in my pickup. Doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can happen right now wherever you're at, and God's just say, "I want this," and He'll enter your heart if you if you truly believe. If you believe what I just said, what the Scriptures say. Bow your heads, Father. Thank you for this day. This is a day of rejoicing for those who call on you, those who already know you. And I pray for those that are holding back, maybe, that you would draw them to you. It's for you, Lord, are the one that brings us to that saving knowledge. So I ask you, God, as they ask you to come into their lives, honor that. Give them a new hope. Help them to see you for who you are, to see your son. Now we rejoice in what he's done. We praise you for, for the salvation. We praise you for eternal life that we have in you. And we thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.